Psychologist Audio Chat. To connect to our always-on and always-streaming audio chat, go to audiochat.thinkologist.com. This is a new and exciting way to communicate with fellow Thinkologists around the globe. Each day we compress and post the day's audio into a file that can be big or small. Discover new voices and ideas that talk about media fakery like you never did before. To listen to the live stream, go to s3.fakeologist.com. Now, on with the audio chat. All right, so the audio is uh, coming through. All right, that's good. So I'm with Harry L here in the Fakeologist Discord live stream, and it is the 9th. Just, mate, at least let me get out the uh, the date there. So it's the 9th of May, 2018, <laughs> and it's about 10.30 p.m. local time. And uh, I was just asking Harry a question while we were in room 11 off air. I was saying, Harry, how is it possible that there is so much of this obvious fakery in history and it is so blatant, it is ridiculously obvious in so many instances why is no one other than John LeBond talking about the history hoax? That's what I was asking you. And it's, it's a tough question to answer, I think. It's extremely simple at the same time. And the thing is, I don't think anyone wants to delve into it. I don't, and I don't think anyone has the energy or the time or the necessity to look into it unless you're actually really interested in going into it. But the thing is, whether that's true or not, it does determine... You know, a forward truth somewhat. Would you would you agree with that? I'm uh, I'm I'm thinking about this topic of the history hoax, and I'm thinking I'm not really that intelligent, Harriel. I am not really that smart, in my opinion. You're no, just hear me out. Just hear me out. I'm just hear me out here. I'm not yep. that smart a person, really. I'm not, and yet somehow I seem to be the person who has stumbled upon what I would call the history hoax. Now, how is that possible? How could a man of mediocre intelligence, just some regular mm-hmm. guy, possibly be the first person among... How many people live on this earth? Seven billion, we're told, is it? How oh, many of them apparently. have the internet? A billion? Two, two billion people have the internet? Oh, is that, is that what we're being told? Let's slide down the scale and say that under a billion people have... You know, free access to the internet. Let's let's say, for the sake of argument, sixteen percent of the world's population have access to free information. Well, let me just let me just go with some basic figures. Let's say a billion people have access to the internet. Now, not all of them can read English. This is true, but there are translation services that are easily available. Many of the major websites are available in Chinese and uh, all the other languages as well. So they still have access to the information, maybe not quite the wealth that we find in English, but still a significant amount. And uh, and yet, and yet, I feel as though, and I hope I'm wrong, Harriel. Really, I pray, I pray to the heavens that I'm wrong about this. But I think I might be the first person who's come along and said, "Hold on a second here." Pontius Pilate is the guy who uh, crucified Jesus. Well, then he's a he's a pretty important part of the of the Jesus story, let me find out more. Oh, you've got one one piece of evidence, one piece of archaeological evidence to support the uh, existence of Pontius Pilate 
And it's a stone that they discovered in 1961. 1961. Hmm. Exactly. Hmm. It seems ridiculous. On the surface, it a little bit ridiculous. silly, doesn't it? Hmm. On the surface, it I would mean, seem a little bit bizarre, yeah. Hmm. You'd think that you'd be finding a, um, a bit of carpentry consisting of a couple of two-by-fours stuck together in a cross shape. Well, um, they, 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 their story is that they found this uh, tablet in situ, I-N-S-I-T-U, which means they found it where it supposedly was originally. They found it in place. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And you can find photos of this. I'm talking about the uh, Pilate stone. Talking about the Pilate stone. P I L A T E, the Pilate stone. Look it up. Yeah. Look up this Pilate stone. It'll come up straight away on Wikipedia. And they've got a photo of a replica. But if you follow the links and do a bit of googling, you'll be able to find the uh, the original, supposedly. And uh, and and uh, yes, two thousand years. The, uh, the lettering has, has held up. If you think of even the word Pilates, if you drop the I out of it, you've got plate. And plate would more or less translate to tablet. And that sort of follows in the vein of other, other allegories that are presented to us in yeah, scripture. Yeah, there might be something to that. But if we just rewind a little bit, we've got a stone with inscriptions that can be read 2,000 years later. Like a stone carving. Oh, yeah. And, and by this isn't my story, folks. This is not... Listen, JLB did not make up this story. This is the story that JLB read on the internet. And I think it's supposed to be the official story that Pontius Pilate was a guy who crucified Jesus and there's one piece of archaeological evidence that this dude existed and it was discovered in 1961 and it's a 2,000-year-old rock. Okay? And that's, it was discovered by people that could translate that. I'm even happy to leave the translations. They it's can have incredulous. The translations. It's incredulous. Well, look, they can have the translations. That's that's really not my concern here. Who on earth, in their right mind, believes that a stone could sit there for 2,000 years and still whatever was carved on it originally is legible? Who who would believe such a thing? Okay. And then secondly, yeah. even if you want to give them the, <laughs> the super stone, if you want to give them that, it was discovered in 1961. But the Bible has been around for, for a very long time, apparently. A couple thousand years as well, we're told. Oh, yeah. So, so did people have... A short version of 200 years. Like, let's just think through this. Did, did people have the same level of faith in Pontius Pilate before the stone discovery as they did after? Did it affect that in any way? Since 1961. But, but presumably think, people had faith I don't before think, I, don't really, I really don't think he would have existed in most people's minds prior to 1961. You think he's a more recent addition to the narrative? No, no well, if these tablets weren't discovered until 1961, and I think the world was a much, much less collected and connected place um, prior to that, I don't think he might not have existed in people's minds, and therefore the myth and the folklore until 1961, and could have even been included, you know, post that date. So you think... Like what you're he suggesting is that there were... He, just, just, let me, just let me see if I can rephrase what you just told me. What you're suggesting is that the people who had faith in, uh, in the Christian you know, version of Jesus and, and these sorts of things, this literal understanding of a real person 2,000 years ago or mm-hmm. whatever the case might be, 
What you're saying is that those people before 1961 didn't know of Pontius Pilate. Is that what you're trying to suggest? There's, there's every chance that they might not have. Really? And I think it, that that's this, a, this seems like a key character in the story, true or not. Well, if there's a dude who's getting uh, crucified, right, whether the story is a true story of the crucifixion or not, in that narrative, the dude who decides that this dude is getting crucified, that dude is a key player in this narrative as well. Mm-hmm. So whether it's yeah. Pontius Pilate or anybody else, that guy in the story arc, key, key character, key person, isn't he? Very key character. So I, I find it a little bit hard to believe that people, anybody with a serious interest in, in the Bible or in Jesus, you know, as a literal person sort of uh, belief, I find it I hard mean, to believe that any of them would not have known of this Pontius Pilate character. Yeah, oh, to go one step, oh, not even one step deeper, but you'd go, I mean, the whole thing is, the whole literal historical narrative is based on that, and this is where I, my whole, my belief structure diverges from that, and that Bible, whenever it was created, made, authorised, copied, copyrighted, or whatever, it's not, it's not a literal or historical context, it's completely al- allegorical, or in my mind, maybe even legal. And that's why you know, I think a lot of people might get misled into thinking that things written in the Bible actually happened, and they didn't. And I think a lot of people get atheists and theists um, get hung up on it. Other, you know, they get hung up on it equally, just to take that that one step further and actually investigate, you know, one supposed happening and the evidence that supports that supposed occurrence in history. You find that. There's so many questions out there that needs to be asked that like, any rational mind just sits there and goes, oh, it doesn't make sense. I should just suspend my belief until it can be further confirmed, which it may never be. Am I coming through still? Yeah, yeah, coming through. The, the good thing is when, Ab, um, when he uploads these, if there's any gaps, the gaps are just uh, automatically clipped out, so it's all good. But uh, but yeah, the Pontius Pilate character, goodness gracious me, uh, what it's a character. Interesting. It's a character. And this, this is the thing that I'll, this is what I've like with all well historical narrative and things that have supposedly happened in the past and things that happen in scripture. I just see every you know person that is referred to as a you know as a person and so called man within that. All I can see is that they are a character in a play, performing a role. And that's all I ever see out of it. And all you can ever take out of it is a bit of a moral or a story, you know, like the old childhood Aesop's fables or, you know, it is characters. Everyone performs a role in this world. Well, getting back to Pontius Pilate, I've just got to restate this again. I'm I'm happy to be wrong, guys, please. If anyone hears this and they know that I'm wrong, please correct me because I'd love to be wrong about this. But here's what I think is the official story. Jesus was crucified and the guy who made the decision or had some say in the process, had some significant say, is a guy called Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate is only one piece of archaeological evidence that he ever existed. And that piece is a stone called the Pilate Stone, which seems appropriate, you can give him that. But it was discovered in 1961. And, uh, and supposedly, if you know how to read the language on the stone, it actually says Pontius Pilate. And it's like, well, there you go. It says Pontius Pilate. This is his stone. There you go. 
I think oh, that's your Christmas story, guys. So please, if anyone out there is more learned than you... It's done and dusted, though. Well, if it's written in stone by people that knew how to read the language, well, who are we to argue? And they're probably historians that discovered it. You know, these trusted authorities. It'd be you know what, Harry? I told myself I wouldn't do this. I said, I'm not going to do this, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up to you a little bit, live on the air. I'm going to tell you something that's a little bit personal. <laughs> I've got to get this off my chest. I look at some of these stories... Like this Pontius Pilatus story, and again, could be wrong about that. Let me know if, if anyone can prove me wrong. But let's just say that my understanding of the official story there is correct. I look at stuff like that, and I think there, there's something not right here, Harry. Or there is something not right that uh, that no one else is bringing this up and just going, "Hey, listen, guys, I'm happy to be wrong here, but I, you know, this, I think this is what the story says." And that seems a little bit hard to believe, guys. Like, don't don't shoot the messenger, just hear me out. This story seems a little bit uh, fantastical, right? Like, I I find it difficult to believe that this reality could entail a group of humans, however many of them there are, (laughs) among whom there's a decent proportion who either know this story or ought to know this story based on their alleged belief systems and values, and somehow none of them have a YouTube channel or something and just going, guys, did you know that this was part of the story? This, Like, what? There's something not quite right here, Harry. There's something I can't put my finger on. <laughs> I, can't, I can't quite uh, determine what it is yet. I've got some working theories. There is something. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. There's, no. there's uh, some kind of cosmic joke at play. I'm starting to become very open-minded to that possibility. Let's hope the sink gods come out and you know expand a bit of consciousness to other people and get us thinking on the same paths. Well, getting more serious again for a moment, then, is that would that really be such a good thing? I mean, a lot of people, Harry, have this idea that if you spread the truth, whatever the truth might be. No. And if you kind of get more people believing the same thing as yourself, that uh, this no. is a good thing inherently. This is a good it's thing not. that people should do. That's just, no, it's well, just, just, just try and let me finish a question, Harry. Just let me get this out so the listeners can hear. There is this idea out there that spreading the truth, right, is an inherently good thing and that it's good for people to hear the truth, that other people are better off for hearing the truth. And I have to say, for for quite a while there, Harry, I was, uh, you know, I was partial to this way of thinking myself. But these days, I'm not so sure. Not so sure. What say you? I don't think. Well, first of all, yeah, proclaiming the truth to any one person or any even group of people is um, the sensible thing. Because as soon as you come out and say, "I know the truth," people automatically, I think, feel a bit uh, insecure about their own beliefs and somehow, in, via some psychological instrument, um, hold up resistance to it. Um, and no matter what you say after that point, saying, hey, I've come up with this truth, I don't think you'll ever get through to them. And it's up to the person that's, and you and I don't know the truth. I don't want to know, the, oh, and I'd like to know the truth. But well, if Dave J was here, I hate to interrupt you, please forgive me, but if Dave J was here, he would say, well, if you can't know the truth, John, then what's my business you, with you? Can, you? can you please let me finish? 
and I'm stirring you right now. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I'm not that I'm not that forthright with putting it forward. I'm more discussive. But can you can you know the truth? Is, is the truth something that you are able to know to some degree? Yeah, I mean it's the truth as the observer sees it. I mean, and I hate to go back to fucking stupid yarn, Irvin, but you know there is a five sense reality that you you do observe for yourself and come up with your own models for it, and that ties back in with with what you know Frank the Salt Guy's views are. The world to you is described in models, and models can either work or they might not work. But to try and prove one model's truthfulness or validity or absoluteness over another is, I think it's quite hard to be able to transfer that from one person to another. I think a lot of people are so, I don't know, pushed in one direction by what shapes them in their lives to that to their point that uh, unless they're very, very open-minded and very un-egotistical, um, but they're not really going to be willing to take anything else new on board. Well, I, again, I apologise for interrupting. This is a very important point because you said that, you know, you and I don't know the truth, and I would say, well, you're speaking for yourself there because if uh, if I've been saying that uh, you can't know the truth, I'm not sure if I have been saying that, but if I have been, then I've maybe been misspeaking because I think there are some self evident truths in this reality. Oh, absolutely. And I think absolutely. the more observant that a person is and the more they think about what they're seeing and the more they attempt to identify certain patterns, patterns that might go against what we've been trained to believe, there's certain things that we can identify and understand and see their cause and effect. It's a self-evident truth. And I think we can know those things. We can know self-evident truths without... Without even having to get into a an epistemological John, argument, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm, going to I'm going to have to interject there, John. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, there's certain things that you can only sense with you. Like even if you just take one sense out of the five or ten or whatever people say that you've got, there are some things that you can't deny. Like just take sight as one that most people can relate to. But you, there's certain things that you cannot deny. You can say like. Let's look up at the night sky and you see two stars and they're a certain distance apart according to that, according to some person's eyes. You cannot deny that they're a certain angle apart in the sky, but that is a truth. That however you choose to define that angle then becomes relative. The truth is that those things are there in the sky. One dot of light is there and the next dot of light is over there. I think that's when you get into that empirical observational truth. How they how they move, how they interact, how they do different things is a completely different question. But at one point in time, you can point to two different things, two things in the sky, and say that's there, that's there. This is the truth. Yeah. So that's that's a good example of, of how you can use your senses to arrive at some of these self-evident truths. So it looks like we're on the same page there. And yeah, it is. I thought it was worth just interjecting to say, yeah, if you're saying that I don't uh, know the truth, well, I would uh, politely disagree. There are some truths that I do know, and I'm constantly trying to learn more to, you know, identify more patterns that reveal themselves to be truths of this uh, of this realm, of this reality. Yeah. Well, even if you don't know you're sitting on top of the truth, it's, you sort of get a, you get a feeling that you might be sitting near it. 
So, Fakeologist, it's been a while since I've uh, popped in here. Harry, when was the last time you were on the Fakeologist Discord server? I've got a funny feeling I haven't been on here since I went on twice when I first signed up when Discord came out. I've got a funny feeling it was September or August in 2016, and I've only spoken to individual people here in private chats ever since. So, I think the last time I was on Fakeologist Discord would have been speaking to you. Have you been listening to the uh, recent Fakeologist audio chats and uh, maybe getting your head around some uh, of the dramas yeah, that have uh, been oh, yeah, happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Abs- I've been trying to keep my... I've been trying to listen to um, some of the audio chats. Um, not all of them, but um, I'm quite cognizant of what has occurred in recent times. It's been a little bit like the old Trans-Asia days with old Jeffrey C and uh, Red Pill Revolution and PK, isn't it? It's a little bit like that. Well, I, can't, I can't pretend to know anything about what happened with that because I don't know about that. This one's been a, a bit more, I would say this one's been a lot more dignified, to be honest. I think the the whole PK, Jeffrey C, that was that was sort of the gutter level of, uh, of this kind of uh, <laughs> truth or drama. Whereas this one's been, I would say, slightly more uh, civilised, you know, and highbrow. It's I been mean, a bit more dignified. I don't, I don't know anything about Jeffrey C, and I've only watched a couple of PK's videos. But, um, yeah, it just seems funny that the way the whole thing just split. But we just, I just saw it probably took two, maybe three weeks for it to happen, but just a division, people using one side of the dichotomy or the other, and then. Sure, there's plenty of other people that sit on both sides and don't really give a shit, and I like those kind of people. But um, yeah, it's funny to see the people that have taken one side over the other. What do you think about this idea that, to a certain degree, humans do actually enjoy a little bit of drama in their lives? To say nothing specific about any person or even any event necessarily, but just generally. What do you think about this idea that, to an extent... People enjoy the drama. People crave it. They crave it, and they are absolutely drawn to it. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Dis, I'm not distancing myself from that. That, that either. I, I thought it was quite. I was interested to know what was happening. Not that I really cared what the outcome was, but at the same time, there was people there that I, you know, there's people on both sides of the spectrum that I respected their opinions on, and I enjoyed listening to. The, um, yeah, I just wanted to know what, you know, where people I looked up to were fitting in their future endeavours. It was me, but I don't know, other people might look at it a different way. Well, I once heard a story, I don't know if it's true, but just hear me out, that... No, don't be a false, don't be a false witness. That if people want to memorise, say, a deck of cards, right? Like a randomly shuffled deck of cards, try and memorise a random shuffle of 52, right? A popular technique is, as you're being shown each card that you have to memorise, to imagine a story to help it sink into your brain. So, for example, so for example, the first thing that comes out might be a three of hearts. So you imagine that you've just bought three hearts from the butcher, right? And then out comes a seven of spades. So you then imagine that um, a car with a seven and a spade logo drove past or something like this, right? And by doing this, it helps people to remember things. Now, again, I don't know if that is actually how the master memory people operate. That's my understanding. 
But if that is the case, that wouldn't surprise me because I think humans do have this amazing knack of remembering uh, stories, of being drawn into stories. And uh, it makes perfect sense to me that our brains would remember stories more than they would remember a random selection of cards. You're listening to another hour of Fakeologist Audio Chat on Fakeologist.com. And so if that were the case, you know, it, it would almost seem to lend credence to this idea that humans are, for want of a better term, hardwired to become engrossed in drama. You could make that argument, I think. But um, that aside, it's been pretty quiet here at Fakeologist, from what I can tell, over the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if it's going to pick up a bit more, sort of, uh, over the next month or two. Who knows? Who knows? And then, of course, we've just seen a very, uh, very critical uh, piece of of uh, writing about a guy called Miles Mathis, which is being posted at Peace of Mindful, which I was under the impression was pretty pro-Mathis. Oh, so, and then it closed the comments there as well. So it's kind of, that, that seems very peculiar to me as well, I have to say. So I don't really know what to make of that. It's almost like there's been a somewhat of a split between fakeologist and hoaxpasters call. Somewhat of a split. Like I said, it was relatively dignified, I think, if I can say so. But, uh, and then you've got this, um, I don't want to say a split, but something very peculiar going on over at Peace of Mindful with regards to Miles Mathis, who I believe has uh, written a, a, a reply and, uh, and, and said some fairly nasty, well, you know, some, some pretty critical things of Peace of Mindful. So, I mean, it's, it seems like we've got a bit of a tit for tat going on there. So it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's strange, strange times in the truth realm here in uh, May 2018. Peculiar times in this uh, tiny little corner of the internet, Harry. Well, I think we've lost Harry. Or if, uh, if Harry's still there, mate, we can't hear. It's not coming through. So, no, very strange times. But listen, guys, what I was hoping to talk about is uh, just briefly, I'm going to take a little break from Fakeologist. I did this a couple of times last year, and uh, I felt like both times it was beneficial to do so. And right now I need to put as much of my attention into the Dinosceptic Project, finishing that off and getting that released as I can. So with that being the case, I thought that might be a time just to take uh, a few weeks away from a fakeologist. But uh, as I always say, well, the amount uh, of benefit that I've gotten from this place over the journey has just been phenomenal, truly phenomenal. So I was more than happy to make a small little contribution to what uh, what Ed's doing here. It was a tiny contribution. I'm sure many other people are giving... Uh, more substantial amounts, I hope they are, but I gave just a token and said, uh, Ed, listen, uh, you know, I appreciate what you're doing here, and uh, it's good to see that so many people are doing likewise, because I think it deserves it. And if you take away fakeologists from this scene over the last few years, what have you got, really? Let's be honest with ourselves. Uh, this place has been, uh, you know, a, a very useful resource and facility and utility, if nothing else. If nothing else, it's been that. I think it's been more, but it's been that at least. And I think Ab's done a fantastic job with it. So, uh, so I wish you the best with the website for the next few weeks or months or however long I do uh, take this little sabbatical. And uh, hopefully I'll leave on good terms. Hopefully I'll leave my little break uh, with people's well wishes. I know there are some people out there who <coughs> won't wish me well, but that's fine. I still wish them well. I still truly wish they find 
whatever it is they're looking for in uh, in this thing that we call life. And uh, yes, who knows? I'll be back sooner rather than later. And keep checking out johnlebond.com for updates, uh, not just on the Dynaskeptic project, but on all of the things that I researched lately. Lately, I've I, I I tried to get away, but it pulled me back in. This history hoax, it's everywhere, everywhere. Everywhere you look, there is somebody. Yeah, we're hearing you, man. We lost you for like, might have been a minute or two. You just. Yeah, and the thing was, it still had your uh, avatar up, but it seemed like you were there. So it was was a little bit confusing, to be honest. I was was ghosting. Well, it's good to have you back, man. I was just telling the uh, good listeners out there in Fakeologist land that I'm taking a small break from Fakeologist. I'll be getting away for a little while and focusing on things that I really do need to focus on. But um, I leave bidding this place the uh, the best of luck because, like I was saying, it has just been such an excellent resource for the very small percentage of us who are truly trying to open our minds Mm -hmm. to new ideas. This place has uh, been been fantastic. Can't really describe it. We've got some very, very good eggs here on fakeologist.com. Yeah, and uh, more than a few rotten eggs as well. You've got to take the good with the bad. Oh, but I I'm think, not, like I said, I was trying to be diplomatic. I, I have uh, I took your advice and read uh, how to win friends and influence people. Oh, really? And how'd that go? Oh, I haven't read it twice as you suggested, but um, I've got about half as much out of it as I should. That book changed my life, my friend. And uh, as I've said before, and I think I've said this live on the air as well. Uh, it, there's many benefits to be gotten from that book, but there are also some black a, pills. Some, oh, well, just about, just, just hear me out. There's also some, uh, some, some very subtle black pills in there that you might not even realise. <laughs> it might not even dawn on you when you're reading it, and uh, and hopefully trying to put some of these good habits into practice in your life. It might not dawn on you at first that there's actually some like pills in amongst it. And uh, that's the only, you know, word of caution I would offer. But other than that, yeah, terrific book. And I'm so glad to hear that you're would you, trying to... Would you, care, would you care to go into that a little bit more? Have you got the time? I will. One of the things he does say is the importance of uh, not interrupting people and, uh, and apologising when you do. And uh, that was something that I used to uh, maybe uh, do too much was interrupting. And so one of the things that he says in that book is the importance of letting people finish their thoughts. It's incredibly frustrating if you don't. And uh, in terms of the black pills, Harry, what if, what, if, what if you like to imagine that there is an inner you, that there is something about you, that it's not just your appearance when you look in the mirror and it's not just mm-hmm. the way that people look at you, but there is an essential you. Okay, many people do see themselves this way. They see themselves as this essential being, and they also view the other humans, or at least some of them, as another essential being, a spirit, some kind of special entity. And so when we have positive relationships with these other beings, there's a certain uh, good feeling that comes from that, like a, a feeling of contentedness. What if you were to learn that some of these positive relationships, it wasn't because there was a, an entity that really understood you and cared about you, but maybe it was just because you had naturally developed certain traits that, that made you likable to people. 
Okay, it was nothing about it was nothing about your essential nature as a person. It was more to do with um, maybe maybe some positive traits you didn't even realize you had in amongst all the bad traits. You actually had a few positive traits, but they maybe misled you into misunderstanding the uh, the nature of your relationships with these other creatures in this realm. If that makes sense. So yeah, what you're saying is that some other entity might be sympathetic to one of your values, whether that was good or bad as a value. Uh, I suppose that is also and possible. They might have seen some, some sort of resonance with it, you know, like someone might have gone, oh, or, or at least, at the very least, maybe made themselves feel a little bit better about themselves. Um, so like, let me give a more practical example, okay? Suppose there is a person who uh, is naturally happy around people and he finds them to be happy around him as well, okay? And, uh, and then he reads a book and he finds out that one of the most important things to do with people to make them feel comfortable and make them feel like you care about them is to do X, Y, and Z in conversation. And it turns out that you were already doing that just because that's, that's what you thought was a normal thing to do. And, um, and so it turns out that, that, and then maybe this person starts thinking, oh, well, maybe it wasn't this essential me they really cared about. Perhaps I was just a likable person. But that these people never really, or, or maybe some of these people, never really fully understood this essential being that this person thought that they had. Now, this, this won't be a problem for people who don't uh, view the world that way. They don't view themselves that way. They, they do believe that they are just what they see in the mirror and they're just made of atoms and... You know, the, all that kind of thing. That person who truly sees the world that way, this probably won't be an issue, probably. But I think for a lot of people it can be. When you see just how easily people can be, uh, can be persuaded, uh, not, not by good arguments or by good evidence, but just by... by um, entertaining their, their feelings. Entertaining their feelings, yeah. It's, um, well, that's, that yeah, and, and this is similar. The general contention. Of the book. Well, I mean, and a lot of this stuff, I mean, again, people have to read the book to understand, but this stuff isn't in any way malicious or nefarious. It's, it's actually positive stuff. Like, for instance, use people's names. In conversation, yeah. regularly oh, use a person's name. name, firstly because it means you're more likely to remember it when you're saying goodbye. Very So one of the things he says is... I took away from it. I'm not sure if that would have come through to listeners. So one of the things he says is, use their name, that way you remember it, you know, when you're saying goodbye, but also it's the sweetest sound in the language is a person's own name or words to that effect. To their, to their own ears. To their own ears. And so I think if you, if you start taking notice of this, it's actually quite true. People do generally are more receptive to people who are using their name constantly. It's, um, and also, yeah. if we analyse our own feelings, we'll notice that people who use our names more regularly, we do actually feel a, a greater affinity or positive sentiment towards them, generally, okay? And one of the problems I have when I speak about these things is a lot of people, because they're very retarded, they'll listen to me say that, and they'll leave a comment or they'll say something like, oh, not me, but I'm, and I'm saying generally, okay? Everyone wants to think that they're, that they're an exception, and their exception applies to everyone. I'm talking generally, and I think a lot of people will understand what I'm saying here. This is just a, a simple thing. We like to hear our name. So when Dale Carnegie is suggesting that, He's not saying do it to trick people. It's not. It's quite seriously. Just be a more, just be a more pleasant person. Remember people's names. And then he also says, yeah. then he also says that don't say that 
but you just can't remember people's names. What you're saying is you don't care about people's names enough to, to remember them. Practice remembering their names, and you can. And I know for a fact that works. At least it did for me because I tried it, and it worked. I used to be one of those, oh, yeah. it's hard to remember names. I'm not good with it. No, that's bullshit, man. That's a bullshit excuse. How many times you hear people say that? I'm terrible with names. I remember faces, but I don't remember well, I used names. to be one of those I'm, people. I'm, I'm, I'm so, yeah, I'm, I would say I only read the book two weeks ago. I'd say I'm still guilty of that. And since reading that, cause I, I mean, I remember people's names from fucking 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when it didn't really matter. But when you do remember, see those people and they respond to them with their first name and uh, you can tell that they're nervous. They know who you are by face but they can't quite remember your name. When you remember their name, there's a different there's a different relationship that goes along there. Like people people get weirded out when you remember their name. And I think it's I, I don't know whether that's just um it's not a humbleness thing. I think it's uh, I don't even know how to explain it. I think um I think people don't they love to hear their own name, but don't necessarily want to hear their own name. I don't know if you quite get what I'm, where I'm coming from, but... No, I'm not really sure what yeah, you're referring it's, to. Um, I think a lot of people like to bask in a bit of anonymity. So when someone comes out of the blue and says X person's name and that you remember them and blast them out of this, you know, social engineered anonymity, I think it's a bit of a... a I think it's strange for them, and we've got to remember that that book was written in the years leading up to 1936-1937, when, yeah, in a time before social media was there for to jog everyone's memory as to who was who. And uh, I think I get what you're saying. I think I get what you're saying. Let, let me see if I can pull this back to you. Tell me if I've got it. Kind of like yeah. as we float through our day, we kind of forget. Let me just give me that. This is what I think you're saying. As we float through our day, we forget sort of who we are. So when someone uses our name, we remember, even like on a subconscious level, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right, that's who I am, right? So we kind of, what you're saying is we, is that, is that kind of what you're getting at here? Like that's kind of what's happening? We're yeah, kind of, to, hear, yeah. to hear it verbally, I think, is a strange thing from the modern person. I mean, I haven't been on Facebook for four, maybe five years or something. I, I distance myself from it, but yeah, so... When people say my name, I, you know, I recognise it truthfully, but then there's other people that you, you say their name too, and it seems like it, um, it almost scares them because they're used to getting a, I don't know, used to getting a notification or a message or something, or a mate or a buddy or a hi or a g'day. I think that, that it's very personable to actually say someone's proper name. I think that's one of the examples in the book of where um, Dale Carnegie said he remembered one of his own um, he must have been a Greek client. He remembered his whole name, you know, as it was in his proper Greek tongue. And the guy just never forgot who Dale was. I'm like, well, I think that's just people with their with their normal, English, you know, just normal everyday English names these days. Like people just don't hear their name called out, and I don't think they feel important because of that. Yeah, well, if I've if I've correctly understood what you were saying, then I like that. I think that's uh, that is nice because we do just. We can just sort of float through the day, and especially you know, in certain jobs where you have to play a role in the in the office hierarchy, or you have to work in a team with certain people, and it's you really are just filling in a role. I guess it could be the case that a lot of people are sort of again, this could be a subconscious thing of uh, almost 
almost being like a different person. Not They're not thinking a different name. They're just, they're just forgetting that they are a person. They're kind of going into this um, almost like a drone mode or something. So then when they hear their name, especially from a from a strange person, it could be sort of jarring to that sort of mindset that they're in. Yeah, that, as, as, as a thought experiment, as, a, as an idea, I like that. Yeah, it's particular. I think it's particular to the Christian, Christian, you know, so-called Christian or first name. That's to me that is the most. I mean, they say personal, but you know, as soon as you bring the word person into it, you know, it can invoke certain legal definitions and all that sort of thing. But you know, personal in the sense that it is, it is you as you are defined by your own self. So when someone says to you, "Hey, John," you automatically pick up your ears and you're like, "Hey, that's me." And someone recognised me for being me, and whatever they've got to say next has got my attention. It's just like when someone says to me, hey, Harry, your ears are pricked up, and you're like, hey, you remembered who I was. You remember who I am. You know, I must I must have held some spot in your mind for you to better recall that. Yeah, and what we all want is to feel cared about and appreciated, don't we? So on some uh, instinctual or natural level, when someone remembers our name, especially when it's in a situation where we don't expect it, then it can uh, it can sort of fill, to some degree, this desire to uh, to be cared about. So it's very natural that this that this would be something that Dale Carnegie would suggest in his book. And I guess bringing it back to the the way that we got onto this is that book I read that years ago. A housemate gave me no a housemate's brother gave me a copy of that book. Because he and I were chatting, we got along. He's like, man, let me give you a book. It changed my life. So he gave me the book. And I still remember where I was when I read the book and so much of it. That was the funny thing, man. So much of that book, I was like, well, this is obvious. This is common sense. And then, then you think, well, hold on. Maybe it isn't. Like, maybe a lot of people... But it's not. This isn't common until sense. Until you see it written out in front of you, it's not common sense. It's not common sense until you see it. It's almost like you need that, that, that resounding, I don't know, opinion to make it valid in your own mind. And to, well, the way I stumbled across the book was that well, we were over in, the whole family was over in Bali a couple of weeks ago, and my wife wanted to go out shopping, and I'm like, just leave me here with the book, and I'll just, I'll just read. And then I'm like, oh, hang on, I haven't got a book here. So I found the nearest bookshop, and it was probably the most, the best bookshop I've ever been to, and it had all these brilliant titles in there, and I just saw it. I walked through the door, and my eyes just stuck to the, that cover. I'm like, how to win friends and influence people, I'm like, yeah, I'll pay 11 bucks for that, and shoot it up in two days. Have you been making a conscious effort to implement some of these uh, tips and ideas into how you live your life? Well, yeah, considering I was reading single book one alongside it, um, yeah, I think so. it's not surprising, and you do just have to take it all in. You just have to take it all in. And when there's certain things that you don't know why, but your subconscious sort of tells you to go in a certain direction or just to look in a certain way, you just go there. And for me, it seems to just happen. And I've done that. Some people describe that as being, you know, led by a religious force or whatever, but I just go with whatever the feeling is. So uh, are there any particular things that you've implemented or, or tried to practice more as a result of reading them in the oh, book? Oh, not so much the remembering of names, because I, I think I'm okay at that. I could be better, obviously. But um, more inquiring of people's like, things that are specific to them and their situation, instead of just saying, hey, mate, how you going? How's it been? How's work? It's like, if 
trying to remember something that some person said. Um, it's a little bit more um, intimate to them. But trying to remember, you know, how many kids they've got, if they've got a boy or a girl or whatever, and just, you know, get a little bit more closer with that person. And I find when you actually delve into those depths too, you, you remember those things a lot easier too. And you find that they open up to you a lot more. Um, and strangely, and I think it's the whole purpose of the whole book, is that being so intimate with someone, and it's not really even being intimate at the end of the day, but it, it does benefit you know, my outlook on life, the way I think, and the way I think the network of people around me revolves. And it's not a yeah, that's been my experience as well. It seems as though... Again, I'm just using the word hardwired here in a very loose... It's do unto others elaborated before I dropped off, John. No, no, I'm still here, still here. So, um, so that's what I was saying. Um, again, I'm just using the word hardwired here very loosely, but it does seem as though we are naturally happier and more content as creatures when we have these relationships that have some meaning to them in our lives. And, uh, and that's one of the things that the book encourages you to do. It encourages you to take a real interest in other people's lives. And I think it was probably a lot easier for me to do that five years ago because there was so much, <laughs> so much that I had no idea about five years ago. I was completely oblivious to so many things. And I'm sure I still am, but back then I'm talking not quite blue, blue-pilled normally, but close enough in so many ways. <laughs> so anyway, it was probably easier for me to still take a serious interest in uh, regular people who I didn't know than, than maybe it might be for a lot of people who've, you know, also learned about the way the education system works and what John Taylor has to uh, demonstrate and show about what school is really here for and, you know, some of these very serious things. I mean, when you understand what the dumbing down of school is about, <laughs> like when you really oh, understand it, this is, a, this is a very yeah. serious thing that will affect the way you understand yourself. If you, if you really understand the dumbing down of the education system, if you really understand it, not just, oh, yeah, I know about that, but no, if you really understand it, it will naturally change the way that you see yourself. <laughs> The way that you see the people around you, the way that you see people who you don't even know, it, the way that you look at the past and the future, and it changes a lot of things. Now, I didn't know about the dumbing down of America or the dumbing down of, of public education when I first found Carnegie's book and started taking more of an interest in regular people's lives. Knowing what I know now, and maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but it might be a little bit more of a psychologically stretched... <laughs> A stressful uh, exercise to uh, yeah. to do that, but maybe I'm just making excuses. That that is that is that is quite possible as well. well That's also possible. You might be. You're probably the, the only person that can deduct whether you have been or not. I mean, I think one thing that was strange was probably two months before actually reading the book was going to a party. And I might have even spoken to you about this before in private, but um, going to a party and like you talking to people and you find someone that's, you know, you just crack them open on one particular subject of, you know, one thing that, would, that might interest you or me. And sitting there, and this does go back to, you know, the Dale Carnegie approach and that, like, you've got to find a common ground and agree with the person and get them to say, yes, 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 and understand their perspective before you move forward with yours. 
And I remember sitting there with one particular guy and just saying, listen, you know, you often wonder that you sit there and you look at the world and the people that occupy it going about their everyday lives. And I'm like, I sit there and some days and I think, you know, I'm so fucking retarded. I, I really know what's happening. And the bloke next to me that I was talking to, he's like, oh, what do you mean? I'm like, I mean, I'm retarded, but I realise it. And I think you're retarded, but I think you realise it. How do we actually go forward from here? And he sat there and he scratched his head, just sitting there trying to probably deal with the fact that, you know, I'd called him, him and me retarded. But once he got his head around that, he was like, yeah, no, we are, everyone's fucking retarded. It's just a matter of whether you actually realise it or not. But I think having that common ground and moving forward, like admitting your own faults first, which I think was one of the principles in that book, and then moving forward with the solution that benefits both parties is just which is one way of going about it. And it doesn't mean you have to agree on the outcome. It just means you have to agree on some subsets of the foundation. Well, you're right. He does recommend admitting your own flaws. And one of his key tips is if you're shown to be wrong about something, accept it. If you've done something wrong, apologise for it straight away. Be sincere in your apology. Understand you've done the wrong thing understand that the apology is appropriate, do it straight away, and if you're sincere, then the, that's, the, that's the most likelihood that the other person is going to forgive you and that things will get better, right? Yeah. Like, what, what he is giving is good advice, but not based on morals, but based on, no, this is actually what is best for you as a person. Treat other people like this. If you show someone that they're wrong, what, what is the best situation? They understand it. They accept it. If they've done something wrong, they apologise for it. And you move on as people. That is, that is well, the best outcome. The last thing I want to hear is that you're dumb, you're a retard, you're wrong because of this, this, this and this. No, they want, no, to exactly. a, they want to be brought into a common ground with you and then move forward with you. And whether you agree on the outcome or not, it doesn't really matter as long as there's a general level of, you know, at least metre understanding of the situation. I think it's beneficial for all parties. Well, that's the whole point. It is, it's better for you if someone has wronged you or is in the wrong in some way, if they understand it quickly, like really understand it, sincerely accept it and move on, just as when you're in the wrong, it is better for you and for them if you just accept it, right? And when you see it written out like that and you think about it, it's like, you know what, yeah, like, it, and, and not just that. So simple. It's almost, well, just hear me out, it's almost, it also it almost encourages you to want to identify when you're wrong before anyone else even gets the chance. It's like, it's like if you're wrong about something, yeah. you're going to have to own up to it when someone points it out to you in, a, in an argument or a debate or something. Best you find that out for yourself now. It's a, it's a matter, of, matter of being... Um, sorry, I'm just outside under a roof. Um, it's a matter of pride at the end of the day. And whether you want your pride to be exposed early or defended later... I'd rather have it exposed early myself and shown to be a fool. And I'm happy to be a fool. I'd rather be a fool early than a fool later. Well, I guess the way that I understood what Carnegie was saying was that we're all humans, we all can be wrong about things, and uh, and actually just what a smart, sensible person does is he acknowledges this element of himself, like he acknowledges that he can be wrong. So when he's shown to be wrong, like he really... Like tries to understand how he is wrong. He, he accepts it. If he has to apologise, he apologises. If he's done something wrong, of course. And and then he moves on with his life. 
And so there's no need to defend oneself. If one is in the wrong, he realises and apologises. If, uh, if one is not in the wrong, there's no need to defend oneself, is there? Because why are you trying to not. change someone else's mind anyhow? So it's like... You're trying to change your mind and someone else's at the same time. But are you really trying to change people's minds, though? No. I'll give you the short answer. I'm not. I'm not trying to change people's minds at all. I'll give my I'll give my opinion here and there, like very selectively. But um, there's better things I can spend my breath on. Let me, let me tell you why I'm not trying to change people's minds. Firstly, I understand the futility of it because I did try. I did try to change people's minds. I really tried. I thought, hey, if you just show people some some basic ideas, and I really believe that. And uh, through sheer weight of numbers, through a sample size that is almost hard for even me to believe, I tried, my friend, with people, real life people. And I came to the conclusion that some people would call a sad conclusion, but I don't think it has to be seen that way. That actually, no, there's no changing other people's minds whatsoever. So I think it's a futile exercise. But even if I believed that you could change people's minds, it would be a case of, well, what, what, why do I want to do that? You know, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? Like what? There's a certain ethical uh, consideration that has to be played out here. Why would I want to change someone's opinion to my opinion on something? Am I that happy? I don't think so. I think I am medium-level happiness. So who am I to go around? Maybe someone's happy. Maybe someone's fully believing in all these nonsense stories. I'm I'm jealous of the normies, John. You sit there at a point when you wonder why you went down the paths that you did, and I sit there and I wonder why. A lot of people are very content or at least happy or even enthused about playing the system to their advantage or doing this or having this uh, outlook on life or this adventure or this determination to make perhaps make certain money or have material goals and all that sort of thing. And I think uh, sometimes I sit there and I'm like, what, happened if I, what would have happened if I didn't go down this path, if I didn't ask even just one simple question that led me down this you know, so-called rabbit hole. Uh, could I be happily ignorant, you know, like these people are? Just How much time do you like spend this. thinking about these things? Oh, a bit. Not so much on my own behalf. I look at other people that I know that I've grown up with and I wonder about it. And I've got, luckily I've got a, a you know, within my group of friends, I've got a good standing board of people that I can ask fairly honest questions of and um, get some, you know, fairly insightful in discussion out of it. And, you know, you sit there and you're like, I'll just let them do it. Who gives a shit? It's not my life, it's their life. Yeah, I know a lot of people do think about what if I did this or what if I did that. I think it's natural for us to think about those things from time to time, but um, it is a very unproductive use of one's mental... I don't think of the what if, what if I so much. Um, my question is more directed outwardly upon other people as to how they think, like, why would, at which point did they not question? I sit there, I'm very accepting, like, I'm just, I'm me, I ask questions, and they're going to either disappoint or make me happy, I don't, or something in between. I'm quite accepting of whatever the answer is, if there is indeed even an answer. I think I've just come to terms with the fact that that's my nature. Well, I would be very interested to know, like among people, uh, say at this website, for instance, at fakeologist.com, I'd be interested to know what um, proportion of people do spend any significant time thinking about those things that you just mentioned, like thinking through other people's minds, like 
trying to come to terms with why these people can't see. Because for me personally, let me share my own take on this. As I came to understand certain things about these creatures that we call Homo sapiens, as I came, and in myself, as I came to learn some uh, truths about myself as a person, as a creature, whether, you know, whatever I am, whatever I am, as I came to learn all these things, I came to understand that uh, a lot of these people, there's no reason to assume that they're thinking deeper thoughts about anything at all, ever. Mm. And this is just the nature of this uh, of this realm that we're in. You know, some people are big and tall and strong, and some people are small and puny and weak. And the same applies when it comes to people's what you might call psychological or spiritual capacities. It's, we get variances there as well. And this is just the rich tapestry of uh, this realm that we call mm. existence. You see, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It just it is what it is, my friend. It just is. It just mm. is. But then, you know, Harry, people do come back to me with a, with a fair uh, rebuttal. They say, yeah, but you yourself accept that there is dumbing down going on. You accept that. So, uh, how, so how can you say that, that this is just natural? That's a, fair, that's a fair question. We don't know how capable a lot of these creatures would have been had it not been for the education system. And let me just... Ask you. Let me ask the. Let me just give me. Let me ask the. Let me let the listeners and yourself, Harry, think about this for a moment. Uh, See how much you remember about primary school and high school, and if you can be honest with yourself and you do remember a lot, now ask yourself how much did the poor performers in early primary school change to the end of uh, senior high school, and uh, vice versa. How much did the really smart, bright, uh, capable kids become dunces by the end of high school? Be honest with yourself. Don't pick out the exceptions. Think through the biggest sample size you can amass in your head and be honest with yourself. Did you? Is there a trend? Was there a trend early in their education? Is obviously where I'm going with this. You tell me, Harry. Think, think about the kids you went to school with. Did you notice, or, or looking back, you know, retrospectively, do you notice now that perhaps there were certain patterns that were pretty clear pretty early on? Well, yeah, well, I, I've noticed there was, um, think of it as self-induced tall poppy syndrome. And that the smartest basically cut themselves down, and that the people that were doubted and somehow became somehow excelled in whatever field of living they choose, chose to do. Like the inverse of what you'd almost think. Like that the smartest cut themselves down with drugs and other lifestyle choices, and yet the people that so-called struggle. Um, I don't catch up with that many people from school, but it seems inverse to. I would have expected going into say high school at year seven, and the people I knew then, and the people I was knew then, and the expectations you had of them then, I'd say they were almost inverse. Okay, so be a bit more clear with me. You're saying that people who did well in uh, early school performed poorly, and vice versa. Is what you're saying? You're saying that your experience was the opposite of mine. No, they performed perform well. Everyone performed as they should through the school system, but then after the school system ended and real life began, um, and real life set in. The ones I think that expected that came out of it doing well, expected to have, you know, high-paying jobs and a degree or a scholarship or whatever, just cut themselves down. And the people that actually had to struggle um, were the ones that actually made a go of it. That's interesting. So you're saying that people who did... Let me see if I've understood you correctly. You're saying that the people who did well early in school did well right throughout school, but then after school their lives went poorly, is what you're saying? Okay, that's, that is interesting. Where I was going earlier was just this idea that perhaps perhaps nurture is given a lot more credit and nature not enough. Just hear me out. And uh, maybe the dumbing down is 
is a negative way to describe a process. You could give another you know, adjective or a different uh, title to describe it, which is more along the lines of these people are never going to uh, be creative, so let's get them stupid enough to enjoy menial tasks in society, which will make them more content. So you could, you could argue, just hear me out, guys. I know a lot of people hate having their preconceived notions on this particular topic challenge. Because what we're talking about here is the people who run the show and are they good or are they evil? Let's be honest, that's what we're talking about. So, that being the case, just hear me out. What if a lot of these people, they weren't really ever going to be particularly creative or to have a certain mind that would allow them to see certain things? But uh, we want to make them, or the people who run the show want to make them happy, give them good lives or give them a chance at a good life if they're willing to work at least a little bit. And, but, but for them to enjoy their life, you don't, you don't want to think too much about too many things. You want them to be a bit more happy to be in a, you know, in a work office for 40 hours a week. So you get them ready early by getting them to school when they're five and uh, getting them used to sort of a bell telling them when they can and can't be at their desk and when they have to be at their desk and, and, uh, and getting used to all the other kids so they kind of get used to that environment of being around other people, like for no reason. Like school, school are there because of location, work they're there because of money, but in both cases, the relationships beyond that are generally pretty arbitrary. So it, it gets them conditioned for that, and you get them used to doing, like, you know, here's a piece of paper, you know, you have to fill out the answers from the back of the book, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's very meaningful, trivial crap, but it gets them ready for the workforce, and a person with a full-time job generally feels like they are contributing to society, they are a good person simply by the fact that they have a job. Oftentimes, some people do enjoy their job. They enjoy... You know, whether it's uh, an outdoor job or an indoor job, many people actually do, they get a sense of satisfaction from their job and it actually does make them happy. So what I'm trying to suggest here is perhaps, and this is just a thought experiment, please, people, don't get triggered. It doesn't help you to get triggered, trust me. Just think about this. What if, what if, uh, the dumbing down, yes, it is a dumbing down, yes, but it's not necessarily nefarious or malicious or uh, even necessarily a bad thing overall. Is this a possibility? Systemic. I, I think I realised this when I was sitting on the lawn at Monash University in my first year of, of uni. When I, it took me forever to pick what I wanted to get into. Like I had a reasonable enter school. I did not know what I wanted to do. And I'm just like, oh, I'll just go do a science degree. And I remember sitting there distinctly on the lawn at yeah, Monash Clayton campus in Victoria. Sitting there going, when all these other students are running out for fucking orientation week. And I'm like, thinking about how the end of school actually works. And I'm like, I think it's just purely matched up with job expectations in three or four years' time. And I'm like, they're just trying to fill industry niches to get certain people in certain jobs doing certain roles. And I, and I thought when I actually sat there and had that pure thought, that's probably one of the earliest, purest thoughts that I might have had, you know, when I was 18 years old. I was like, ah, oh, what is the fucking point? If you go through a, a process just to wind up in a different process that's already been planned out for you, like, why would you do that? And how could you be happy with someone else's process? Just out in the uh, main courtyard, just out in front of the union building, were you? Just chilling out on uh, quiet... Oh, uh, one of the lawns. One of the, one of the big lawns. It was probably near the science and engineering building. Near the, oh, I don't know, near the lecture theatre. I was only there for a year, so... And, you know... you. I just didn't fit into any of the groups. Like, you know, some of the groups is like, oh, yeah, we go out every weekend and take pills and then 
other groups would be like, oh, you know, we played badminton, and other ones would be like super sporties, and I'm like, huh. No, they uh, built a they built a synchrotron at Monash. Clayton. Yeah, that's where I used to, that's where I used to park my car for free. Yeah, and that's exactly right. They took the free car park and they cut it in half and gave half of it to the synchrotron. Maybe even maybe even more than half, and so and so less people had access to the free car park, which meant that you <laughs> that you had to go and pay for the the parking permit. And who made the money from the parking permit? The university. Who helps get the synchrotron built, and and that's that's the that's the tertiary education uh, industry here in Australia, isn't it? And, uh, good stuff. What the hell does a synchrotron even do? Seriously, what is it, what is a synchrotron? Let's look this shit up, man. This is ridiculous. As soon as I couldn't, as soon as I couldn't park my car there, I lost interest in the place. <laughs> synchrotron. What is a synchrotron? Australian synchrotron. I think it's synchrotron.org.au. Yeah, go on, what do you think it is? Is it not? It's like a mini, it's a mini fucking Hadron Collider, isn't it? Uh, well, that, that's, a, that's a question that's difficult to answer. What is a Hadron Collider? You know what I mean? It's, well, so yeah, we're it's asking the mini, same question. A new, a new, uh, it's, I know, from what I can understand, it was a big circular thing where they collided, you know, so-called particles into one. Well, let me, let me read these 40 words out to you, and uh, you tell me <laughs> if they make sense to you. This is from Synchrotron. .org.au, and it's entitled, What is a Synchrotron? And it says, and I quote, A synchrotron is a large machine about the size of a football field that accelerates electrons to almost the speed of light. As the electrons are deflected through magnetic fields, they create extremely bright light. The light is channeled down beam lines to experimental workstations where it is used for research, end quote. So there you go. It's, uh, it's an electron accelerometer, isn't it? Or an accelerometer. If I speak through my voice synthesizer operated by a joystick to my mouth, that all these words seem to make sense to people that think I'm actually intelligent. Well, I mean, anyone, any expert, um, Stephen Hawking or otherwise, who reads that out, who would, <laughs> who would dare challenge them? Who, who would, would uh, who, might, who might argue? Who would be the person who would put their hand up and say, hey, listen, just hear me out here, guys. I'm not saying this dude is wrong. But, <laughs> but what I don't understand is, who, <laughs> who's going to do it? Billions and billions and trillions of stars. In the millions of trillions of light years. <laughs> she man. Yeah, stop feeling so small, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're living in yeah. a joke of a reality. Have you seen the film The 13th Floor? Uh, is it the firefighting one? No, The 13th Floor, you'd know if you saw it. It's from the same sort of um, period as, or the same... Same year as um, The Matrix and Dark City and The Truman Show, that same sort of late 90s period. And uh, I don't want to give, give it away, but if anyone's listening to this, if, if any of what I have said tonight has resonated with anybody out there, if you haven't seen The 13th Floor, do yourself a favour, get a copy of it, don't look it up. Don't look up the plot line, don't look up the synopsis, don't look up anything. Just get yourself a copy of it, put aside an evening, or, you know, whenever you feel comfortable watching movies, for most people that's an evening. And, uh, and partake in whatever you partake in prior to watching it, if that's your thing. 
and enjoy, enjoy the next 90 or so minutes because I think a lot of the themes that this film is getting at will uh, resonate with those with uh, you know, eyes opening, as it were. I might have to do that myself. Strongly recommended, mate. And uh, again, I don't want to give anything away, but I'll just say that it turns out, and I've had to learn this through doing the legwork myself, I just just going through ridiculous amounts of uh, of research, of reading and learning new things that I'm only learning to see if there's any truth to these stories. And um, it, it also it all seems very clear to me now that it is like the Emperor's New Clothes. With so much of his stuff, not a little bit, not an isolate. No, I mean in general, in general, that's the world we live in. Listen to how people speak. People tell stories, and other people don't ask for sources. And go on the internet, the same thing happens there. People will tell a story, repeat a story. No one asks for sources. It's, it's not in people's nature. Uh, it's not. It's not the way that people are these days, and, and maybe it never has been. To actually try and source or verify stories. So a lot of what people believe is a proven thing or a like a well sort of uh, researched or studied or proven thing or a lot of the stories that we believe that there's so much behind no there's in many cases there's nothing it's like a facade zero. it's it's kind of like you know those um western towns like um these sort of seeing in the old movies you know like those old western towns where like it's just like a facade at the front and so mm-hmm. like the dude like the dude's walking through but but it's just um it's just a set or whatever it's kind of like what it is. Every time someone tells me something about a historical event or character or I read about it, it's like I walk up to one of these um, facades and i got to open the door and my hand just goes straight through. <laughs> and I'm like, this is another, this is, this, it happened again. You're not supposed to be here. Are any of these, are any of these buildings real at all? Is there a single... <laughs> it's like on the, the Truman Show when he goes through the fucking wrong door and there's people out the back eating bloody, uh, having morning tea. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The similarities to to the Truman Show are phenomenal. It's funny you should bring it up. You know that was our Truman Show is fucking brilliant, man. Oh, I couldn't make it to the chat. I can't we'll get just get to work. But um, well, you know that was our topic for the most recent members Skype call. Member Skype call number seventeen was dedicated to the Truman Show, and it was a good call. I enjoyed it. Did you have had a chance to listen to that one yet? I haven't listened to it yet. I'm no, I think you're going to enjoy it, mate. I um, I I have to go back and edit. Whenever we do a film analysis, I have to. I have to go back and edit it so I can cut in the, all of the clips that we refer to. And so it does take a lot of time. It's frustrating. But by the end of it, I was pretty happy with it. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what people have to say about it. These, these film analysis member Skype calls, I think, are the best. Because when they're finished, they just flow so well. And, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that we've sort of... I can't even remember whose idea it was. I can't remember whose idea it was to record those calls. But um, it's worked out fantastic. To, uh, to do that, and yeah. I think it's the best part of the site at the moment. It's the part that I enjoy the most anyway. Yeah, I've got to wait till I get, buddy, get a good PC or a laptop, and it's got working on it, because I've got nothing at the moment. I'm running off a phone and a tablet, so until then, I'm just going to have to sit and listen. Well, yeah, I think you'll enjoy this one, mate. Dante makes a long-awaited return. It's been uh, about three months oh, since yeah. we last heard him. So he returns and he makes a fantastic return. And then Mezzy's there as well for a cameo. Not all of the call, but she's there as well. She's like part of the furniture on the Metascope call. She's there for almost everyone. So between the three of us, the thing was the time right now, like we've got the two hours and it's like, well, we, ha- we can't, you know, every hour that we record is another sort of two hours of editing or whatever. So it's like, oh, we'll wrap it up here. But the Truman show, mate, Truman, Truman walks out of his door and uh, he's playing along the big act under the dome. 
and then Sirius falls from the sky and he touches it between the two pillars, doesn't he? And so begins the process of initiation. The whole movie, whole movie is full of pillars and fucking yeah, pillars and Pythagorean triangles. Well, there's a story that's being told there, and I'd love to get your um, take on the story. The story of a man who is playing along, and then he becomes initiated. It seems this this is where the story gets interesting. It, It becomes your own interpretation. Did Sirius fall from the sky by accident? Was the radio that was on the wrong station, his car by accident. Was his mum showing him the photo of his wedding where his wife is crossing her fingers at the wedding? Was that by accident? Were these all planned by Christoph? Were they planned by why something does he, above Christoph? Why does, why, does he, why does he sail away across the top of the sea above, above the law and find his salvation at the end of it and walk away? It's a bit of a... It, I don't think you have to look too far into it to find you know some sort of a bit you know. You might have misunderstood what I was getting at a moment ago. Okay, so just let me finish here. So the series falling from the sky, the radio in the car, the the mother showing the photos, these are all giving signs to Truman that it's all fake. These are the things that help him wake up. So the question is, why did those things happen? Did that did that light really just fall by accident? Or was this a pre planned initiation? Was there something that that you know Truman was almost destined to begin his initiation at that age, at the age of almost 30. And this this is a relevant question to many people because they're looking at all of these signs that were given, like 9-11 being an obvious hoax. Nobody died, nobody got hurt. There were no planes, there's no 3,000. This is a joke, man. This is this is Harley guy, you know, um, I, saw the, I saw the plane come out of nowhere and just ream straight into the side of the tower, exploding through the other side. And then I saw it was just like a collapse. Mostly due to structural failure because the fire was just too intense, right? This this is a clown show, and this is obvious for those with eyes to see. So the question is, is this really something that was not supposed to be discovered, or is this all part of the apocalypse? And apocalypse just means a lifting of the veil. Is this all part of a lifting of the veil? Is this all part of a mass initiation that's taking place right now? I remember when the Truman Show came out because everyone used, was used to Jim Carrey being in funny movies. And they were like, oh, the Truman Show was pretty sad. I think they said the same about the cable guy. And I don't remember much about the cable guy. I, I'd like to go over and pour over Jim Carrey's more serious movies and his more serious roles, filling his, filling his typical character in. But what do you think about this idea, though, of this information that's coming out? Just trying to get back to that sort of point that I was getting at there. People argue over... You know, oh, this is what happened, or that's what happened. But the point is, this is all very obvious. Right? The fake route, the moon landings, and so forth. And a lot of people believe, and they seem to want to believe that, oh, this, we're so smart for discovering this stuff. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're the clever ones, and oh, it's a big conspiracy, and we've cracked it, and all this kind of crap. But uh, there is this counter-argument, and I think there's a lot of evidence to support it, which is that this is put there intentionally. And, and those of us who pick up on these yeah. clues and, and begin our own process of Lifting our own, you know, lifting the veil from our own eyes, really trying to understand, going through this. It's, all, it's almost like an ego death, realizing just how stupid you are and sort of starting back from the basics again, just applying logic. Absolutely. If you, I mean, if you believe, you know, you can we debate where terms of Greek words came from. You know, physic meant nature, apparently. And, you know, if you take the direct translation of Greek into English, and I'm like, well, that's strange that, you know, physics, as we, as, 
modern or postmodern person understands it is anything but natural. It's a complete abstraction of what nature is. And yet, if you take the Greek translation, it, it actually you know, is supposed to be nature. I'm not sure if you quite understood the, the point that I was making, to be honest. Uh, so maybe we should sort of move on. Listen, it is midnight here, so probably it's time to wrap this one up, Matt. I'm glad that you managed to join me for the call. It's uh, worked out very well, so I appreciate that very much. What are your final thoughts for the, uh, what is this, FAC, FAK, uh, ad, uh, you know, he gives these all um, names, doesn't he? So we can even sign off on this one knowing which uh, fakeologist audio chat this is. And what I'll do, Harry, if you're cool with this, is I'll re-upload it as well as a, uh, a JLB chats on the website. But I think this one's going to be called on fakeologist. Let's have a look here. See, it's been a while, man, since the last call. This one's going to be 197, I think. So for FAK197... Uh, what are your final thoughts from uh, down there from Melbourne? Down there from uh, cold, miserable Melbourne? It actually is cold and miserable right now. It's pissing down. Um, mate, we've had a good chat, and I think it's been good not to be um, uh, completely objective, I suppose, about things and actually just have a good discussion about, uh, I suppose, more philosophical uh, meaning of things rather than talking about specific you know, hoaxes and this and that and whatnot. I've had, I've had a good time uh, discussing it with you. I'm surprised that no one else actually joined us, but um, yes. Uh, yeah, um, look, look, if, look, if someone wanted to have joined us, that would have been great, don't get me wrong, but I think it's worked out perfectly well that, uh, that we've just had this chat, and the time's gone quick. Now look at this. I was two minutes away. Two minutes. If you like this audio and want to support the site in a small or big way, please hit the PayPal donate button on the side of the fakeologist.com webpage. You can show your support for as little as $1.19 a month by subscription or one-time donation. Thank you for your support. And that came through a lot louder than Harry's voice, so I'm concerned now about the audio levels, but these things happen, that's okay. So, I uh, see, I'll just sign off quickly, so I'm taking off from Fakeologist for a while. I don't know when I'll be back, but it's just a brief uh, departure, so I won't be, probably won't be listening to the audio chats or, um, you know, being on the Discord server. I'll probably sign out of the Discord server and uh, maybe even uninstall it like I did last time, so um, we'll see what happens there, but um, I leave hopefully on good terms, and I wish nothing but the best for all fakeologists, even the ones who wish me bad. It's like, okay, fine, wish me bad, but I still wish you good and hope things work out for you and whatever it is that leads you to feel such negative emotions towards someone you've never met, hopefully you overcome those things and the world will be a better place. But uh, for those who are interested, you can still check me out at johnlebon.com and I'm still posting content there and we have the members club calls every week and um, things are still humming along there, but I do need to... Get away from uh, from fakeologists and also from YouTube video uploads. I'll be maybe doing one or two more of those and then taking a break from that and uh, really focusing on this Dynaskeptic project, which I'm very excited about and which will be well worth the wait. I tell you what, get when I release way. that, it is. Get that out of the way because that's. I'm very excited. Oh yeah, listen. When I get this thing finished, Harry, I'm telling you right now, man. I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off from uh, probably from probably from all electricity other than the TV, so I can watch the Soccer World Cup. And um, and just forget that there is such thing as the internet for a, for a couple of weeks. It's um, oh, it's going to be a beautiful thing. Yeah, I can't wait. But um, anyway, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and uh, and then everyone will be happy, and uh, the world will be a beautiful place. I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. 
That's it for me. So best of luck for Ab and to Fakeologist and um, good on all of you who have sent some money Ab's way. The facility he provides is fantastic and whatever money that people like us send him isn't going to change his life. But if it does, you know, if he can buy, uh, he doesn't drink beer, but if he can buy like, um, I don't know, if he can take his wife out to dinner or something, if he can, if he can do something that makes him happy and it comes from like five people sending him 20 bucks, then that, you know, that I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and this is what, this is what I find weird about people who bemoan money or who bemoan the system. It's like, well, hold on. The system the system allows me to go and work for some dude for, say, it was a four-hour shift today, and then I get paid money by this. It's not even a dude. It's a company. I get paid by a company, and then I can send that money. If someone is doing something that I like, I can send that money, and they can then buy a slab of beer or they can uh, go to mini golf with, with their... Like, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the point is... Can someone explain to me why that's a bad thing? How is that a bad thing? Am I missing something here? Freedom, freedom of choice. It's like, I don't know, man. Some people, they just want to be in like a... This is the problem, Harry. We don't have time to get into it, but some people do want to believe that things are bad and that they're victims. And, and like, if you're in that mindset, only you can can ever get out of that, is uh, is my honest opinion. And so... um what can I say? But yeah, it's Ab, thanks again for all the work you've done. Best of luck with the side and best of luck to everyone out there. But for me, that is it. Uh, Harry, I'll, I'll give you a quick call with a debrief. But um, it's FAK197, that's it. See you guys next time. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's right, johnlebond.com. Don't forget, johnlebond.com. Go and check it out. Hello, this is El Sushi from Tokyo, and you're listening to Fakeologist Radio on fakeologist.com.